uh, Pastor Ryan coming to you again with the, um, our, our series, Romans, a letter from the Apostle Paul. And last week, we, um, we started what I'm calling Paul's valediction. And valediction, if you don't know, is just a farewell. It's, it's a, a formal goodbye to a group of people. And that's what chapter 15 was the start of uh, in, in the, the letter to the Roman church. It was Paul's beginning, the beginning of his farewell. And um, that's where we get the word valedictorian, right? The valedictorian is the person who's at the head of their class and they get to give the final speech at the graduation, graduation ceremony to like kind of commission their class, right? So the valediction is this final farewell. And that's what we're in. That's what we're looking at right now uh, from the Apostle Paul to the Roman church. But before I dive into the scriptures today, I wanted to share uh, a little, I guess it's a story. It's more like just an insight into, uh, I guess, I'm, I'm going to let you into my world a little bit. I'm going to bring you behind the curtain. So when I was about 18 years old, I traveled uh, with a school assembly program. We uh, did motivational speaking stuff. And, um, and this true story, 100%. We traveled all over the country, places like Seattle, Washington, and Portland, Oregon, all the way to like, you know, Fairfax, Virginia, like all over the country, everywhere in between, all over the Midwest, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and we, we spoke in middle schools and high schools everywhere. It was so fun. Um, motivational speaking, it was like the, the main, the big idea of like what we talked about was like pursuing your dreams despite your circumstances, right? Because we were in public schools, we, we couldn't talk about Jesus, so, so we kind of... Um, we kind of did, you know, like a, a workaround. We talked about pursuing your dreams and your goals despite, um, despite your circumstances. It was awesome. Um, and in this school assembly program, the executive director, who was also the main speaker, he uh, had this part of, of the program where he would tell jokes about uh, kids' dreams that they had. Um, Kids, if you didn't know, have some of the craziest dreams. So uh, I hope one day Titus doesn't hear this and like get mad at me, but I'm going to share one of his dreams with you. I think maybe he's moved on from it. I'm not sure. He wants to be an engineer so he can create real Pokemon. He, he wants to make real Pokemon, like he, and he, he knows he needs to be an engineer to do it. So that's like one of his dreams, right? Um, this, uh, in this program, we've heard, uh, in this school assembly program, we heard crazy things. Like once a, a six-year-old boy told us, he goes, I want to be a ninja. Wah! You know, like the, all that stuff. Uh, we heard another kid, he goes, I want to be a fireman on the moon. You know, like just, just crazy things. Kids have, kids have crazy dreams. And I can remember when I was a little boy, about six or seven years old, whenever somebody asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, my answer was always this, I want to be a doctor and a boxer so I can fix myself up after, uh, after my boxing matches. That was, always, that was always my response. You can ask my mom. Um, uh, but when I was about 10 years old, that changed. From about 10 years old to 12 years old, I was obsessed with astronomy. I wanted to be an astronomer. I had the telescope and everything, and I loved looking at the stars, and I wanted to discover new worlds. Like, I thought that would be great. That would be so good. But then when I was about 12 years old, I realized I also wanted a family too, and that astronomers have to work at night. And if I had a family and I worked at night, I probably would never see my family. So I was like, oh, that's out, you know. So like the logic of a little kid, right? So that's what I wanted to be from 10 to 12 was an astronomer. But when I was about 12 years old to about 16 years old, I decided in my heart 
that I wanted to play in the NFL. So everything, everything I thought about, everything I was working towards at that point in my life was like, I got, I'm going to be a professional football player. Well, about 16 years old, uh, I narrowed my focus to college football because I knew like, okay, if I'm going to make it to the pros, well, I got to make it to college first, you know? So I started obsessing about going to college and playing college football and that became my focus. Now that none of those things have happened, um, my dream is to be the best husband I can be to my wife. My dream is to be the best dad I can be to my kids, to be the best son, to be the best nephew, to be the the best pastor I can be to Anchor Church. That's my dream now. I've, I've always, I can, thinking back at the things I've wanted to do in my life, I can always remember wanting to be great, wanting to do great things. For as long as I can remember, I've always wanted my life to matter on a, on a big scale in some form or fashion. And I've always felt that greatness was in my future, but I always like defined it differently, like in different phases of my life, right? Greatness always looked different the older I got. I always wanted to do something great with my life though. I always felt that. Have you ever felt like that before? Like you were destined for greatness, like you were destined for something bigger than you. You're destined for, for more than you have at currently. Have you ever felt like that? I think we all go through that. We all feel like that at some point. Some people define greatness as power, and, and some people aspire to high levels of leadership because they, they um, associate high levels of leadership with power, and power is greatness to them. But the 18th century philosopher Edmund Burke once said this. He said, the greater the power, the more dangerous the abuse. So is power really greatness? I don't know. Some people define greatness by how much money you make, how, how much stuff you accumulate more, right, right? The more, the better. The more money you have, the better. The more stuff you have, the better. And people will spend their lives chasing dollar signs. Uh, it kind of reminds me of that old saying, I'm going to butcher it, but like, we need to uh, work to live, not live to work, that kind of thing, you know? Like, like I, that's what I think of when I think of that. But Benjamin Franklin once said this. He said, money never made a man happy yet, nor will it. The more a man has, the more he wants. Instead of filling a vacuum, it makes one. And still others define greatness by how much you can produce. You can't be great. You can't be useful. You can't have a purpose Unless you're producing something all the time, unless you're constantly getting something done, unless you're constantly busy doing something. That's how some people define greatness. But seven-time Super Bowl champion Tom Brady said this about 15 years ago. After he won his third Super Bowl, he said this. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. I think, God, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I love playing football, and I love being quarterback for this team, but at the same time, I think there are a lot of other parts of me, a lot of other parts about me I'm trying to find. So is greatness in producing? Is greatness in accomplishing more and more and more? I don't know, according to the best quarterback in the history of football, it's not. What about the kingdom of God? 
What does greatness look like in the kingdom of God? What does it look like to be great? What, do, what constitutes a well-lived life? What's the difference between a wasted life and a worthy one? These are all good questions to ponder. And today, that's what I want to kind of look at. I want to kind of dive into that idea. What constitutes a well-lived life? But before we read the scriptures, let's pray this morning. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. And we thank you, God, that you're calling us to something great. And I just ask, God, that you would um, open our ears and open our hearts to receive your truth today. We love you, God. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles today, you can open it up to Romans chapter 15 or turn them on if you have a digital Bible. Romans chapter 15, we're going to start in verse 14. Now really quickly, again, I want to recap. Uh, This is a letter from the, the Apostle Paul to the Roman church. Now the Roman church was actually about our size. Today, uh, Today, uh, we see a lot of things about like these large mega churches that have 10,000 people, 20,000 people. And we think like, man, that's the pinnacle. But like the Roman church was this, was a a group of like 50 to 100 people that they were were following Christ together, right? They were living life together, trying to follow Christ. And and the apostle Paul, at the beginning of his letter, he's just laying out a bunch of doctrine. This is how we should think about God. This is the things we should believe about God. And in the last half of his letter, it's all been about, this is how we practically apply these doctrines to our lives. And now he's in the, the farewell stage of his letter to the Roman church. And this is part two of the Apostle Paul's valediction. Romans chapter 14, verse 15, it says, I am fully convinced, my dear brothers and sisters, that you are full of goodness. You know these things so well, you can teach each other all about them. I am convinced that you are full of goodness. Where does this goodness come from? I think that's a a really valid question. Where does this goodness come from? He, He says, I'm convinced you're full of goodness. Where does this goodness come from? Some, some people might say that every human has goodness in them, but in my opinion, that's contrary to what Scripture says. According to Scripture, the opposite is true. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Mark chapter 7 verse 21 says, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders. Genesis chapter 6 verse 5 says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So scripture tells us that apart from Jesus, we're wicked. Apart from Jesus, we're we're evil. But the apostle Paul says, I'm convinced that you're full of goodness. Where does this goodness come from? I just said it. It comes from Jesus. This is the gospel. Faith in Jesus makes us good. Faith in Jesus makes us righteous in the eyes of God. I'm fully convinced of your goodness because I know you trust in Jesus. I know your faith is in him. I'm fully convinced of your goodness because of that alone. Not because of the things you do. Not because of the things you say or don't say. Not because of the things you watch or don't watch. But because of your faith in Jesus, I'm convinced you are good. I think it's really important to remember that. And, and I've said this before and I'll continue to say it, that when the Bible repeats itself, 
It's trying to drive home a point. And, and we, hear, we hear this idea again, right, that uh, salvation, that justification comes by faith and faith alone from start to finish. The Apostle Paul is trying to drive home this point so that we get it. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's by faith and faith alone. Verse 15, even so, I've been, to, I've been bold enough to write about some of these points, knowing that all you need is this reminder. For by God's grace, I am a spe- special messenger from Christ Jesus to you Gentiles. I bring you the good news so that I might present you as an acceptable offering to God, made holy by the Holy Spirit. So I have reason to be enthusiastic about all Christ Jesus has done through me in my service to God. Yet I dare not boast about anything except what Christ has done through me, bringing the Gentiles to God by my message and by the way I worked among them. The Apostle Paul is not disobeying his own instructions here. He's not a do as I say, not as I do type guy. Um, I don't know if you know those type of people, do as I say, not as I do, but like, that's not very endearing, right? Like whenever I see a, a do as I say, not as I do type person, I kind of cringe. I'm like, ugh, you know? He's not doing that. He's not saying like, I get to boast because I'm Paul, but you shouldn't boast. He doesn't, he's not boasting in himself. He's bo- everything he's boasting in is what Jesus has done, is doing, or will do. If, if you boast in anything, boast in that. What Jesus has done, is doing, or will do. Verse 19, they were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's spirit. In this way, I have fully presented the good news of Christ from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum. My ambition has always been to preach the good news where the name of Christ has never been heard rather than where a church has already been started by someone else. I have been following the plan spoken of in the scriptures where it says those who have never been told about him will see and those who have never heard about him will understand. The the people of the Bible are not like us. This is what I mean. Usually when we quote a scripture, and I say we, I don't mean anchor church, I just mean we in like Western church in 2023. Usually when when the church, someone from the church quotes a scripture, we're, we're quoting that single verse, and we're quoting it a lot of times out of context. When the people of the Bible quote a scripture, they're actually referencing an entire passage. They're, they're trying to bring to mind the entire passage that that one verse is in. And in this case, the Apostle Paul is referencing a chunk of the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, specifically chapter 52. Chapter 52, verse 13 through 53, verse 12. This is a passage of the Old Testament that most clearly foreshadows the Messiah, who is Jesus. Paul was like a brilliant dude. He was like genius, right? Like, and so he's like, man, he, the way he's like tying it in and all, I mean, he's just brilliant. So um, that's what's going on here. He's, he's, he's trying to bring to mind that whole chunk of the book of Isaiah, so that we understand what he's talking about. In, uh, here we go, verse 22. In fact, my visit to you has been delayed so long because I have been preaching in these places. So the entire um, passage we just read is the Apostle Paul giving the reason for why he wrote the letter of Romans. This is why he wrote the letter to the Roman church. He explains that he wrote this letter to make sure they would continue to pursue God. Um, through their faith and not religious rules. He defends his, his role as a minister to the Gentiles, and his gospel is God's gospel. 
And his teaching is meant to sanctify the Gentiles. So he lays out his purpose for writing the letter right here. Now, the Apostle Paul had a crystal clear sense of what God was, was calling him to do, what God was, like God created him to do. He had a crystal clear sense, and it shaped every relationship he had. It, it shaped every decision he made. The calling that God placed on the Apostle Paul shaped everything he did. It was the filter through which he lived his life. Now, I want to connect a, a, a few dots for you really quickly. Uh, a couple chapters ago, the Apostle Paul made the point that we're all equal. We're all equal in the eyes of God. No one's better than anybody else. No one's worse than anyone else. We're all equal in the eyes of God. Now, here's the dots. If, if we're all equal, then we are all called. If we're all equal, then we are all called in some form or fashion. We all have a calling. We all have a purpose that God has for us to accomplish here while we have breath in our lungs. To, to put it more plainly, if you consider yourself a disciple of Christ, you are a minister of the gospel. If you consider yourself a disciple of Christ, you are a minister of the gospel. Now, you might hear that and you might dismiss it immediately. Well, that's not true. <laughs> I'm not a pastor. I'm not called to be a preacher. Pastor Ryan missed on this one. Being a pastor and a preacher is way different than being a minister of the gospel. They're two different things. Being a pastor or preacher is different than being a minister of the gospel. Not everyone's called to preach. Not everyone's called to pastor a church. But if you're a disciple of Jesus, you're called to be a minister of the gospel. In, in all kinds of different ways so that the gospel can be proclaimed, so that the kingdom can be built, so that God can be glorified, you are called to be a minister of the gospel. That is a calling that God has placed on your life. So the word minister means servant. So to say that you're a minister of the gospel means that you're a servant of the gospel. What's the gospel? We're made righteous in the eyes of God from faith, by faith and faith alone from start to finish. You're a servant of that. And you're trying to spread that, how God has uniquely gifted you. I'm getting ahead of myself. So to, to say it simply, ministry is what we do for God. We, we, have this, we have this image in our mind that ministry is up here holding a microphone, preaching a sermon, or ministry is um, officiating weddings, or ministry is, um, uh, you know, like uh, leading a, a funeral service or whatever. Like we have this idea that ministers are the people up front for talking to everybody, but a minister is just a servant. You and I are servants of the gospel but it looks different for each one of us. If you call yourself a disciple of Jesus, you are a minister of the gospel. My calling is not your calling. And my wife's calling is not Chelsea's calling. And Zeus, where's Zeus? Zeus's calling is not Gene's calling. And so on and so on and so on. Like, we all have individual purposes. We all have individual callings that God has placed on our lives to accomplish while we're here. Well, Pastor Ryan, I'm past that. I'm too old. Nope. As long as you got breath in your lungs, you have purpose here. What is your calling? What is your calling? My calling is different from the Apostle Paul's calling. The Apostle Paul's calling was to share Jesus with Gentiles who had never heard of him before. That's the Apostle Paul's calling. My, my calling is different. When I was 18 years old, I felt 
I believe that the Holy Spirit said very clearly, Ryan, you are going to teach people, you're going to teach people in your generation about the true character of God, about my true character. That's what I felt the Holy Spirit told me my calling was. Not a, not a vocation. He never said, Ryan, you're going to be a pastor. He said, you're going to teach people about my true character. That's my calling. But my calling's not your calling. Your calling is something else. Your calling is something different. Your, call, your calling is special for you. We're all called to be ministers of the gospel. Paul's calling is not the same as yours, but how he thought about his calling can show how we can figure out what our calling is. And that's what I want to talk about today. Paul's understanding of his purpose came from two things. Paul's understanding of his purpose first came from understanding the purposes of God in the world. Paul's understanding of his calling, what God was calling him to do, came from him understanding God's purposes in the world. Romans chapter 15, verse 20 and 21 say this. My ambition has always been to preach the good news where the name of Christ has never been heard. I have been following the plan spoken of in the scriptures where it says, those who have never been told about him will see, and those who have never heard of him will understand. The apostle Paul could have started with his explanation about his calling at the road to Damascus. Now, really quickly, if you don't know what the road to Damascus is, it's a story in Acts chapter 9 of this guy named Saul. The apostle Paul used to be named Saul. He was a Jewish Pharisee, and his mission was to kill or imprison Christians. That's what his mission was. Saul's mission was he was a a Pharisee zealous for Judaism, and his mission was to kill or imprison Christians. And one day, while Saul was traveling this road to a city called Damascus, he had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus where Jesus showed up in a bright light and knocked him off the donkey that he was riding, and he was blinded. He's blinded. And, And Jesus says to Saul, 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 why are you persecuting me? And Saul had this realization that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah. Jesus was the son of God that he'd been waiting for. And everything changed for Saul at that point. His name changed from, from Saul to Paul. And he dropped his mission of killing Christians. And he picked up God's mission of spreading the gospel of Jesus to everyone who's never heard of him. He could have, he could have started his explanation of his calling there, but he didn't. And I believe he didn't start his explanation there because we're not all going to have a road to Damascus moment where our calling becomes that clear to us. I think, I like to, this is speculation, but I like to think that Paul had that road to Damascus moment where he's riding and Jesus shows up in a bright light and Jesus audibly talks to him because Paul was that stubborn. There was no other way that Jesus was going to get his attention, right? Maybe we're not that stubborn. That We're not going to need a road to Damascus, knock you off my donkey, blinded by the light of Jesus moment, right? Like, it's not going to be like that for us, but we're all called the same way, right? We're, we're all called regardless. Your moment with Jesus is going to be unique to you, but the call is there to advance the gospel, to be a servant of the gospel. Have you ever asked yourself, how well your life goals line up with God's agenda? That is an honest question that is really difficult to answer when you're being honest with yourself. Have you ever asked yourself how well your life goals line up with God's agenda? 
When I ask people that question, or the question like, if money, and if money and education weren't an issue, what would you do with your life? I get things like, oh, I would want to be a doctor. I would want to be the best doctor in the world. Or um, I, wanna, I would want to teach kids. I would want to maximize my talents so I could be the best I can be. Or I want to just do what I love so that I never feel like I have to work a day in my life, right? Or like, I want to make tons of money so I can retire early. I want to make a good living so I can take care of my family. Like, these are things that I've heard people say when I ask the question, if you could do anything, what would you do? Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with those answers, right? Those answers are fine. But often when I ask other disciples, other disciples, other believers, what their ambitions have to do with God's agenda, they look at me like I'm nuts, how, how does what you want to do line up with God's purpose for your life? God is doing something on earth, and he's told us about very clearly in Scripture. And our understanding of our ambition has to begin with his. Our understanding of our ambition has to begin with his ambition. It has to begin with his purposes. Because if you're a disciple of Jesus, you are a minister of the gospel. Uh, God's purposes are abundantly clear. In, in John chapter 12, Jesus is, is talking about his death. He's, he's talking about his death, and he says this, when I'm lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. When I'm lifted up from the earth, it will draw all men to myself. That's God's purposes here on earth, to draw every man, woman, child to himself. Well, how's he going to do that? Through you. Through you. Through you. Through me through us, through the church. That's God's purposes on earth. He wants to draw every living person to himself. And when we understand that's what God's purposes are here, we can then begin to understand what he created us for individually. God's purposes aren't going to be advanced. Drawing, drawing every, every person to himself isn't going to be because of awesome preaching. It's not going to be because of, uh, you know, awesome music. It's not going to be because, like, we have the perfect sound mix. It's not going to be because we're doing all these awesome things in the community. It's going to be because of you. It's going to be, going to be because you're calling. The way you serve the gospel, the way I serve the gospel, it all works together to advance the kingdom of God. So the Apostle Paul's understanding of his purpose uh, first comes from understanding the purpose of God in this world. The, the second thing that, that helps the Apostle Paul understand his purpose that will help us understand ours is understanding the spiritual gifts God has given you. Understanding the spiritual gifts God has given you. Romans chapter 15 verse 19 says, They were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's spirit. In this way I fully presented the good news of Christ. After understanding God's purposes in this world, the Apostle Paul sought the Holy Spirit for direction on his role in it. He sought the Holy Spirit for direction on his role in God's purposes. God, I know what you're trying to accomplish here on earth. How do I fit into that? Because I know you have something for me. How do I fit into that? Well, the Apostle Paul, he's, he's a preacher, but everybody has a role to play. Everybody has a purpose. Everybody has a calling. 
And if you notice, the Apostle Paul talks about ministry in very personal terms. Verse 15, he says, grace given to me by God for ministry. Verse 16, my offering. Verse 17, my service for God. Verse 20, my ambition. He makes it personal because he understands that he has a very specific role in the work that God's trying to do. He understands that he's uniquely gifted and called to reach Gentiles who had never heard of Jesus. But the apostle Peter, the, one of the, 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 the rock on whom Jesus was going to build the church, that guy, the guy who walked on water, the apostle Peter had a way different calling than Paul. Paul was to, Paul's calling was to reach people who had never heard of Jesus, Gentiles who had never heard of Jesus. Peter's calling was to reach Jews, people who were um, born into the family of God but rejected Jesus while he was here. That was Peter's calling. And even the, the disciple Apollos, his calling was different from, than theirs. Apollo, like Paul would start churches and then Apollos would stay at the church and build up the church. He would encourage the church. He would make sure that the church was healthy and strong. That was Apollos' calling. We all have different callings. We all have different purposes that God wants to use to advance his kingdom. And I think of, I think of all the people that the Apostle Paul is addressing in his letter to the Romans, all the people he's addressing in the Roman church. He doesn't tell them, okay, quit what you're doing, sell your houses, come, like, let's travel with me and we'll go preach the gospel together. No, like, Paul understands that everybody's uniquely called to something different. Paul's calling is not their calling. Paul's calling is not your calling or my calling. We're all called to something different. Paul explains in verse 22 uh, how his understanding of his purpose functions to help him make decisions. He explains how his, like, his understanding of his calling is the filter through which he makes every single decision. He doesn't compartmentalize his calling from the rest of his life. Well, I'm, I'm a tent maker, and that's how I make money, and so I, that part of my life is over here, but when I'm not doing that, then, like, um, like I'm doing it. No, Paul was a tent maker so that he could preach the gospel. He was a tent maker. That decision he made to be a tent maker was so that he could travel and preach the gospel. Every decision he made was through the filter of what God was calling him to do. Every decision we make should be through the filter of what God is calling us to do. In verse 22, he says, in fact, my visit to you has been delayed so long because I have been preaching in these places. And he's basically saying, I've wanted to come to you. To, I've wanted to be with you guys, the Roman church. I've wanted to be with you for so long. But there was a, a specific calling God was 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 calling me to. There's a specific thing that God was asking me to do, and I had to be obedient to it. That's essentially what he's saying. Every decision he make was made was through the filter of his calling. A big theme for Paul is, is learning your spiritual gift, because your spiritual gift is a clue as to how God has gifted you to advance the gospel in his kingdom. Spiritual gifts are a clue as to how God has gifted you to advance the gospel in his kingdom. It shows you the role that God has given you to play in, in ministry of the gospel. Now, I have a slide that I want to show you really quickly. Um, this is um, from a thing called a spiritual gifts test. Now, um, 
If you are curious about this type of thing, go to giftstest.com. It'll be on at the end, but giftstest.com. And it's like a 66-question 66 uh, questionnaire. And it'll, it's not exhaustive, right? It's not like, thus saith the Lord, but this is a clue. It's, it's going to kind of help, help you discover maybe some things you might be gifted in. And these are my spiritual giftings. Number one is teaching. Teaching is the gift, uh, the gift of divine strength or ability to study and learn from the scriptures, primarily to bring understanding and depth to other Christians. I knew that was one of my spiritual giftings when I first became a Christ follower. I knew that's one of the ways that, that's one of the ways God had gifted me. Prophecy is another one. The gift of prophecy is the we think of prophecy as like fortune telling or like predicting the future. This has another definition of prophecy. The gift of prophecy is the divine strength or ability to communicate God's truth and heart in a way that calls people to right relationship with God. It's not, it's not fortune telling. It's not predicting the future. It's, it's communicating the truth of God in a way that calls people to right relationship. But that's one of my spiritual giftings. Um, Word of wisdom, faith, pastor, shepherd, these are, these are the ways God has gifted me to accomplish the purposes he's given me as his follower. Your spiritual giftings are going to be different than mine. Your spiritual giftings are going to look different than mine. They're going to flesh themselves out differently than, than they do in me. But you are gifted. You are gifted the same. Some people are given the desire, the responsibility to, um, to take Christ to people who have never heard of him, just like the Apostle Paul. Some people are called to that. Some people are called to the nations to, to bring Jesus to people who had never heard of him. Some people are called that way. Some people, um, they're called to reach people for Christ here in this nation. Some people are, are called to build up the church and encourage the church and edify the church. Some are given responsibilities to serve the members of the church or, or meet the needs of people inside the church. Or some people are called to, to meet the needs of people outside the church and, and be the hands and feet of Jesus to the oppressed. That's what some people are called to. Some people have the gift of generosity or encouragement. Some people have the gift of faith and prayer. Some of you have, well, you'll have the, the supernatural gift of, of insight or, or um, warning to give others. All these spiritual giftings in each and every one of us work together to advance the gospel in our context of life. I, I, I didn't tell her I was going to say this. Uh, I don't think she's in here. That's okay. Uh, oh, she's helping out with the kids. Sue, Sue McDeany. I believe that she is spiritually gifted in the area of hospitality. That might sound weird to you, but hospitality is a big deal in Scripture. And Sue is gifted in that. And she uses that however she can, whenever she can, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. It's amazing. It's amazing what God will do when we lean into the, the things that he's gifted us with. Those are just a few examples, but there are so many more examples. There are so many other spiritual gifts as well. And, and God has uniquely gifted you to minister in a specific way in your own sphere of influence. God has uniquely gifted you to minister in a specific way in your own sphere of influence. You're an introvert? Great. God is calling you. You're a super extrovert, awesome. God is calling you. You really like praying? Great, God is calling you. 
You really like creating uh, hospitable environments and making people feel like they're family? Amazing. God has gifted you and he's calling you to minister. Understanding the spiritual gifts God has given you will help you understand the calling he's placed on your life. Worship team, you can come to the platform. So the Apostle Paul understood his calling because he understood the purposes of God in the world and he under, understood the spiritual gifts that God had given him. If we, if we want to understand the purpose that God has in our life, we need to understand the purposes of God in the world and we need to understand the way God has gifted us spiritually. Um. Corey uh, Ten Boom was a Christian writer in the mid-1900s, and um, she once said this, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. If the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. What an awful trick to make us so busy that we don't live the purpose that God has given us. I just, I can't. I got this thing. Oh, I can't. My kids got this thing. Oh, I can't. I'm scheduled out six months down the road. Like, I'm not saying it's bad to have things going on, right? Like, that, that's okay. But like, when we're so busy that we can't live the purpose God has given us to live, it's a trick from the enemy. If the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. He'll distract you to such a great degree that you miss the calling that God has on your life. What if we could actually live our purpose every single day? What if that was a real thing and we could actually live the purpose that God gave us, that God created us for every single day? Our God-given, this is what I was made for purpose. What if? Whether you know it or not, whether you believe it or not, you have a specific thing. You have a specific purpose God has placed in you. You have a specific, specific calling God is, is leading you towards. He's commissioning, commissioning you to be who he created you to be. And what if living that purpose starts with understanding the purposes of God in this world? Because ultimately your calling, your gifting, your talents, your passions were given to you. They were put inside you by God to glorify him. What if? Everything you've been given was so that you could reflect God to our broken world. Could you imagine actually understanding exactly how the Holy Spirit has uniquely gifted you to minister? If we could understand how the Holy Spirit has uniquely gifted each and every one of us to minister, like everything in our lives would change, I believe. I believe like you'd have a fresh new outlook on life and it would be exciting to wake up every day. It'd be exciting to walk into work every day. It'd be exciting, exciting to go um, to the grocery store. It would, you would have a fresh new look on life because you would have this renewed sense of purpose. What if? You're called by God, and that call begins with understanding God's purposes in this world and understanding that he's uniquely gifted you by the power of his Holy Spirit to minister. If 
for service in the kingdom. Let me pray for you this morning. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that um, you are, you're calling us to more. You're calling us to, to more than, um, than, than just being spectators. You're calling us to get in the game. And you have uniquely positioned us, you've uniquely gifted us for a specific role in advancing your kingdom while we're here on earth. And I pray, God, that you would make that role clear to each and every person in this room that calls themselves a disciple of Jesus. God, open our eyes to the purpose that you have for us. Open our eyes to the calling that you have on our lives. It's, it, it's not the same for every one of us. It's, it's, it's unique for each one of us. But God, open our eyes to the purposes and calling you have for us. Thank you, God. We give you praise and honor and glory this morning. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. What I want to do right now is I want to just take some time to respond. I just want to take some time to respond to the Spirit of God. I feel like, I feel like the Holy Spirit is, is trying to speak something to us today. And so I just I want to get out of the way for a moment, and I just want to allow the Spirit of God to speak. And I want to encourage you, don't rush through this moment. Don't get up and leave just yet. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Um, if you, if you need to sing, you can sing. If you need to pray, you can pray. If you need to sit and meditate, you can do that. But however you need to respond this morning, let's take a few minutes and let's do this. Stand with me if you would. Worship team, lead us. Thank you, God. God, thank you that you've called each and every one of us for a specific purpose, for a specific reason. Thank you. Thank you. You are good. You are great. You are great. Really quickly, before I dismiss, we have a few next steps uh, that I want to leave you with today. And these next steps are just tangible things that we can do to take the message and apply them to our life this week. Uh, the first next step that I want to share is this. This week, I will memorize Romans 15, 17. So I have reason to be enthusiastic about all Christ has done through me in my service to God. Never forget that you are called and uniquely gifted to serve him and his kingdom. Second one, this week I'll explore my spiritual giftings and ask the Holy Spirit to help me understand my calling. And then I have the website, giftstest.com. If you're, if you're um, curious, go there. Do the questionnaire. Again, it's not a thus saith the Lord. It's just helping you kind of maybe figure out and maybe point you in a direction to, to understanding how God has gifted you. And then finally, this week, I'll invite someone to join me at Anchor. Um, most of the time when new people, uh, most of the time when new people come to church, um, it's because they're personally invited. Um, we can do all the invitations and mailers that we want, but most of the time it's going to be a personal invitation. So um, 
I want as many people to know about what God is doing here as we can. And so uh, invite someone this week. Invite, invite someone to join you and check us out. So really quickly, I just want to pray one more time and then we can be dismissed. God, thank you um, for this day. Thank you for um, the word. And I pray, God, that it would root itself deep inside of us. And finally, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all as you go today. Amen. Amen. Have a great day. See you all next week. Have a great Sunday.